Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read to help us all expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, this week I hear we're talking about feelings and emotions and how we can embrace them more. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like we've had a lot of episodes about secret powers. Um, <laughs> this episode is inspired by this book that I read called No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work by Liz Fosleen and Molly West Duffy, which is a really delightful read. Uh, I listened to it. It was a, it was a delightful listen because you got the two different ladies kind of talking back and forth Uh um kind of like this where you hear both of us talking equally sharing anecdotes yeah that's cool i I, side tangent i don't know if i've ever read an audiobook with two narrators read slash i mean listened to (laughs) but have you listened to any of the fiction works that have like characters being done by multiple people yes but i don't listen to those on audiobook I don't know. How else are you listening to them? Sorry, I guess I'm not listening to them. I'm reading books where there's like, like, I'll read books where it's like one chapter from one character point of view, the next chapter is from another character point of view. But I've never listened to a book with multiple narrators. Right. Oh, interesting. Or they switch it. I think it's fun for fiction. It was really interesting for this, which is nonfiction. But the book is really about the modern workplace and how it can be an emotional minefield. And because of that, it's filled with confusing power structures and unwritten rules. And we're expected to be authentic, but not too authentic. Mm. Professional, but not stiff. And friendly, but not an oversharer. So it's really about how do you bring your best self and your whole self to work every day? Um, And really the tips and tricks they kind of go through to walk you through that. Yeah. Do you remember when we both worked at Target and they had this tagline, be you, be Target. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, but it. I still don't understand it. I, I don't know that I understood it then either <laughs> or now, frankly, but it reminds me of that, of like, they want, of when you said that, like, you're expected to be authentic, but not too authentic. It's like literally <laughs> that in a tagline, be you and be Target. <laughs> Hopefully those things overlap, but if they don't, good freaking luck. <laughs> Well, and I think that's the that's the the struggle here, and I think this is what the book is all about. Is like, how do you balance all of those things to seem? I hate the word authentic. To seem authentic, but not overly so. Why do you right? hate the word authentic? I don't think it's. I I I think it's used too much. Like people overuse it to uh-huh. the point where it becomes. Uh, inauthentic when people use it. Yeah. And so that's why I don't like it. Like, I don't like the idea that someone's like, you have to be more authentic. Like, I don't know what that means. And I think that's where the book is like, we hear these things and we don't even know what they mean. Like, what does it mean to be authentic and to be you? I think the end of the whole thing is how do you bring your best self and your whole self? Mm -hmm. I think that to me is much more impactful than saying like, be authentic. Yeah. 
it's an interesting conversation because even in that, like your best self and your whole self, what if your whole self isn't your best self, you know? Garbage, just a dumpster. Yeah. But even if we think about the last episode that we talked about on like rage, like my best self includes some rage, man. Is is that okay to bring into the workplace? It it might be your best self though. Yeah. I'm really curious to to unpack this a little bit more because I think this is insight or, or feedback that people get often. For sure. So they really go through seven um, pieces throughout the book. So I'm going to highlight those really quickly. We'll go back and, and kind of dig into three later on. Mm-hmm. But the seven are, one, be less passionate about your job. So go home. Ooh, I like that. Uh, two is inspire yourself. Heck yes. And we need to do a whole separate episode on that. We're going we to. do that. We're going to. <laughs> Number three, emotion is part of the equation. Number four, psychological safety first. So be kind. Mm. Number five, your feelings aren't faults. Number six, emotional culture cascades from you. Yes, 1000% agree. And then number seven, which is be selectively vulnerable, which I think is our Brene Brown tag at the end of this book. Yeah. Um, Just to give us a preview, which ones are we digging into more? We are going to dig into psychological safety first. Be kind. Your feelings aren't faults. And then emotional culture cascades from you. Okay. Sweet. Four, five, and six. Amazing. What else? Where should we start? Okay. So the one really quick tip and acronym I want to give you guys is COINS, which is a way to give someone feedback. We've talked about this before. Shannon's talked about it with the desk model which is actually spelled incorrectly. It is, and it, it annoys us both. To we no we both have uh, struggles with the fact that it's not spelled the way it should be. So yeah. we're going to go with coins, which is context, observation, impact, next, and stay. Okay, so context, observation, impact, next. I'm like, what the hell is that? Really excited to get to that one. And stay. So walk us through these a little bit. What is the context about? So let's use an example to get us through this, which is you have an employee who wants to be promoted and take more things on, but you've seen them struggle. So context is, I know you want to move into a more senior position and I want that for you. And so I think there's two big things here in this example of context is stating what that person wants, but then also letting them know that you support them for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to do in the sea of coins in context. Mm-hmm. Observation is pointing out something that like this is this is a way to give feedback. So this is where you want to give what what is the feedback about observation? You've been late to several key meetings. So that's really the feedback is giving them within the observation. Yeah. So I hear that as like stating the facts, like yes. what are the things you can see in here? That's like the D in the desk model. Exactly. Okay. And then I is impact, right? And so it's the impact of that observation. This makes your colleagues feel like you don't have respect for their time. Yeah. Right? So helping them understand both the impact and the implication of this observation that you've made. Mm-hmm. Next. This is, I think, the how do you how do you put the onus on them to fix that? So next in this situation would be, can you commit to being on time in the future? 
right? So how do we fix the observation? Yes. And knowing the impact that it's having on others. And P.S., this is the thing that I feel like folks miss the most when they're giving feedback is in, in the desk model, this is ask, specify. So in coins model, it's N next. Like, what do you want them to do instead? Like when we don't paint a clear picture for folks on what we want to do to them instead. And instead we just like pull up the dub truck and put a <laughs> boatload of feedback on them uh-huh. with no clear vision of what great might look like instead. And like just kind of leave them to sift through that and find the future in that. That's really tough. So I, I love that one. And I just want to like double down on that for listeners who are preparing to give feedback. Like you got to tell people what you want them to do instead whether that's your spouse or your employee or your coworker. <laughs> well, and I think that's so right because it's so easy to give feedback and we talk about this a lot. It's it's really easy to give someone feedback, but it's important that you give them a solution along with it. Yeah. Or show them like what the great version of what they're failing at looks like. Yes. Yes. And then the last one is stay. So here you'd say like does this make sense to you? It's it's a way of making sure that that person can take that and, and understands all the coin that has been leading up to that pluralization. Yeah, and I like that that creates an opening for dialogue. Mm-hmm. Whereas desk doesn't, if I'm being critical <laughs> of that model. Like desk ends with C consequences, which is supposed to be the impacts. So I like that this one is like naturally leaning into a conversation about the thing that you just gave feedback on. Yeah, and I think that's why the model works really well. Because... You're being, it, it takes the best parts of desk and then just gives it a little bit more oomph mm-hmm. to allow a conversation to start. Yeah, I like it a lot. So there's coins. Open up your pocket, throw them in there. Um, <laughs> save it for later. Do what you will with it. But there's yeah. an acronym that's spelled correctly. So how fun is that? That's great. So right at the top, giving you a tip to support yourself in embracing emotions when it comes to feedback at work. Yes. I love it. Okay, so Shane, I got some questions for, that I want you and I to discuss before we hop back into those three um, yeah. key pieces. So let me ask you this. What do you think bringing your whole self to work looks like? I don't freaking know. Like, um, I think this was a core struggle for me in my in my 10-year corporate career before becoming a solopreneur of like, I was always encouraged, like, yeah, 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 you should bring your whole self to work. But I didn't, I don't know that anybody painted a clear picture for me on what that should look like. Um, I think what it looks like to me now, oh. Well, let me ask you this, Shannon. What do you, when you think of someone who brings their whole self, what does that person look like? Interesting. So I can think of like past folks that I worked with that it doesn't look like. Uh, I think it looks like... Well, what doesn't it look like? It doesn't look like compartmentalization. So when I see, uh, when I had leaders who compartmentalized things and they're like, we do work together. I spend 40 hours with you a week. You don't need to know anything about me. Outside <laughs> I don't of, exist outside, outside of this of, space. I, yes, I, like this is I just disappear. The only context that you need to know me in. I don't think that's bringing your whole self to work. And also what I'll add on to that, having coached a lot of introverts, is that I I also don't think it means like making yourself uncomfortable with things Mm -hmm. that you're sharing that you just don't want to share. But I hope it means, I hope bringing your whole self to work means that if you want to share other parts of 
yourself and who you are and your interests and what makes you tick, that you do that to the level that you're comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. I think that's where it's all about being comfortable with what you're sharing. Yeah. And being okay with that. And that's all of vulnerability, right? So going back to the being selectively vulnerable, I think it's being selectively vulnerable, but being willing to share some things. Because I think your whole self, your best self, is not a self that is business 100%. Yes. And this reminds me back to the episode that we did on imposter syndrome of like, where, what are my theories on where imposter syndrome roots from? I think imposter syndrome can root from when we feel like we can't bring our whole selves to work. Because <laughs> our whole selves sometimes maybe don't know the answer. And so if we're living in a culture that doesn't promote uh, safety, so to speak, in that sense of like, letting it be okay when you don't know or when your whole self includes the part of you that has to be curious and has to be a learner because you don't have all the answers. Because I don't know about you, but my whole self, even my whole (laughs) self, 100% of me doesn't know everything all of the time. Uh, That that's, it, it can just breed a lot of unhealthiness. So even if we think about getting to bring your whole self to work, even just from a work context and not even making it about personal, can your whole self show up to the table and that like, it's okay for you to know things that, or it's okay for you to admit what you don't know. Because that's yeah. part of you. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's all about the environment and the environment allowing you to be selectively vulnerable to bring your whole self and be willing to share both personal things and and work things that you may not feel comfortable normally doing. Yeah, I don't know. The word honesty is just jumping off the page for me of like, we've got to have a culture of honesty. And I think we're going to touch on it later of like, that can start with you. Even if you don't feel like you're in that environment today, you can be the catalyst for changing that. Yeah, and we'll get to that. So let me ask you my second question, which is, why do we think outside of, let's say it's a good environment, they feel safe-ish. Why do we think that people keep their whole self or part of their whole self away from work? Uh, I think even in the safest environments, fear is still there. Uh, I think it goes back to even like, we could see this in the personal light too, of like, vulnerability is freaking scary for folks. Yeah. So being, no matter how much you trust a person, like being vulnerable with your spouse can be hard sometimes. Being vulnerable with your friend of 15 years can feel hard sometimes. And so I think just honoring that all the freaking research that Brene Brown has done on vulnerability of like, it makes sense that you might feel a little bit hesitant to show up wholly and fully in that way. And also not let that be, not let that get in the way too much in your attempt, in your experimentation with bringing your whole self to work. What do you yeah. think? No, I agree. I think a lot of us have been vulnerable in work situations and then have seen that backfire on them. And I think that causes people to kind of put walls up. Can you um, can you think of an example like for you? Yeah, I mean, I I had a boss once who would always just like poke and prod personal things Mm. just to poke and prod and it was like the most uncomfortable thing ever right because you you want to reward them for for asking yeah but then they just keep poking and prodding at it just because they know they can and i think like that's what people get nervous about oh that's interesting i'm 
yeah. I'm wanting to ask more specifics, but also not poke and prod into whatever this is about. Um, if I think about a time for me where I felt like my vulnerability wasn't met with openness or receptivity, it more comes to mind of like maybe times where I wasn't honest on the front end about what I needed to learn for fear that that would not be okay. So then, so then when I had to do it on the back end or like I was vulnerable or or like I would reach a breaking point, like, let's just talk about the specific scenario. So it was like when I was in frozen managing that team, I had no freaking clue about temp controlled grocery about, I was a first time leader of a team uh, about like a, a short lead time business versus a long lead time business. And I think I did like a, a fake it till you make it philosophy for a long time. And then shit started to, excuse my language, crash and burn. And then I broke down, you know, I can remember crying in front of my boss at that time. And the vulnerability, like there was compassion, maybe it's too strong of a word, but it was like met with like, a, oh, crap, didn't know we were here. <laughs> and I wish there would have been an environment well, and, and I have to take ownership for that, too. I wish I would have created a, a more of a learner environment in myself before that point to say that you don't have to fake it till you make it. I get so sick of people using that phrase because I think that's, again, what breeds a lot of toxic imposter syndrome in our workplace cultures is when people sense that they've got to fake it till you make it or like that that's a good thing to be <laughs> is overly confident until you actually know now. Well, and I, I think this is the part that we will we will always touch on, which is that selectively vulnerable piece, Mm -hmm. because I think it matters and it's really difficult all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why Brene Brown has written eight books and goes on tour and and can talk about this nonstop because it is such a difficult thing to figure out how to do because yes, I think you're willing to admit you don't know things more so at the beginning of your career than towards the middle and end of your career. And I think when you start something, you're like, I don't know how to do this function in Excel. Can you show me how to do this function in Excel? People yeah. are like, yeah, I can show you that new person who just started. I'll teach you newbie how to do Excel V lookups or whatever it is. Right. But then 15 years on, if you tried to ask that same question, I think you would be much more hesitant to ask someone and be vulnerable in that way and, and show that you don't know that and, and push for that learner environment. So that's where I say like, I think in retrospect, both of us would look back on experiences like that and say, we want to be more of the learner in those situations and we want to be vulnerable, but it's, it's always going to be difficult. Yeah. You've really got me thinking. Cause it makes me wonder like, what is that magical number level sweet spot in your career where all of a sudden it's like a flip, uh, a switch flips to say, Oh, it's no longer okay for me to admit things. I don't know. I don't think that's present everywhere, but I can think of a lot of, of clients that I've coached where that sensation arrives for them of like, Oh, well I have arrived at this level and therefore it is no longer okay for me to be vulnerable. And that's so bad, you know, because then it's like, that's the culture that you're creating on your team too. Uh huh. So I guess if there's anything to take away from what we were just talking about, it's if you don't know something, regardless of the level that you're at, Maybe be selectively vulnerable and share that and and learn from someone else. Yeah. And that will allow them to want to ask you when they don't know something. And maybe we won't all hide a bunch of stuff in the closet that we don't know how to do. And then it explodes on us. (laughs) 
Amen. Okay. So quickly shifting, let's talk about a concept this book has, which I think is super interesting. It's the idea of a micro action. Oh, what? A, so I, I've heard of like the term microaggression. <laughs> this is the opposite of that. Okay. <laughs> we want less of that. We want more of these. So the question I have is how might we incorporate, how might we look to incorporate more micro actions into our week? So if you think of microaggression, which is a microaggression, um, a micro action is opposite of that. So it's a positive action that you take to build meaningful belonging. Mm. So it's more of a question of how do you go out of your way to do positive actions for someone else to build that mean of meaningful belonging, right? So I think of myself, I have a coworker who has two small children. I will go out of my way to ask them about them, to have her show me pictures of them. Uh, I have a small child. You have a small child. Mm-hmm. If anybody asks us, Shannon, if they can see pictures of them, we are very forthcoming and excited <laughs> to do that. And I think that's, to me, is like a, a little positive action. And it's a micro action that you can do to to build that meaningful belonging. Yeah. I think you're really gifted at this, Rami. And you do it in a really genuine way. I think I've felt people who do this in not genuine ways. Like that leader I was referring to earlier, I remember. Yeah once offering to him like hey like i don't even like know how many kids you have or like (laughs) how old they are and after that meeting he like it felt a little passive aggressive like sent me any sent me a picture of his son or something like (laughs) okay not quite what i was thinking but cool thanks like way to check the box boy way to check the box (laughs) so to speak so i really appreciate the way that you bring micro actions to life and like that it there is some authenticity, your favorite oh, come word. On, come on, <laughs> some some genuineness in your approach, like it, or maybe you're just faking it. I don't know. Maybe you just make it up all the time, but you genuinely seem interested in other people's <laughs> lives, which is beautiful. And I think that's the thing with a microaction is it should come from a genuine place in that you like truly care. Yeah. And I think if look, if you're listening to this, you're focused on. One, how do you bring more empathy into everything? And I think in that, I think share some of that with your coworkers and and look at doing some more micro actions. Look at at ways that you can build that meaningful belonging with them and, and positive actions, right? We talk about how people love to talk about their passions a lot. Yeah. And I think this is just another way to to say that like a micro action is really just getting someone to talk about something that they're passionate about. And if they're talking about something they're passionate about, they're going to like that interaction time and that's going to make them happier. So I think for this middle part of what we're talking about here is how do you take those micro actions Mm -hmm. and try to incorporate them into your week? Beautiful. All right. So should we jump back into our three that we were going to break down? Yeah. 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 Let's do it. All right. The first one is psychological safety first. So be kind. Mm -hmm. So the first piece of really tactical advice here is, do people feel safe contributing? And this is kind of what we've hit on throughout this episode this week is, do people feel safe contributing? If they don't, you need to help make it feel like a safe environment for contributing. So some tips are encouraging open discussion and truly open discussion. It shouldn't be hey, everybody, what do you guys feel? And then you're disparaging them for saying things, right? Like, 
you have to one, open it up and then also reward that. Right. Mm -hmm. So asking follow-up questions, asking people, can you say more about that? Like letting them feel like it's safe to start to talk and then continue to talk and that their ideas and opinions are appreciated. Yeah, I like this. And it reminds me back to, I forgot the episode, but Crucial Conversations, which I feel like I refer back to all the time, uh, of like, how do we create safety by Crucial Conversation standards? We need to have mutual respect and a, a mutual purpose. So if there's, if people don't feel safe, like, how are we checking for those two things? Like, are we being really clear and intentional that we respect everyone that's here at this table? And is everybody clear on what the heck are we trying to do here? <laughs> Because it can be, I think, shocking sometimes how many folks don't feel clear on the mission, purpose, vision that they're after in any given project or in the broader organization. What's your next one, Rami? So the other one in there is sometimes when people don't feel safe contributing, it's because they need more time to process. Mm. And so one of the pieces of advice here is, well, maybe you like tell the team, hey, we're going to brainstorm about this thing. So how about you guys think about it, write down your ideas, and then we'll discuss as a group. And that helps people feel more confident that they've had time to actually think about it if they're not one who who is naturally confident with any idea that comes out of their mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like and so it. it's really about like, how do you build that space so that people feel safe? So going back to be kind. So that's the first one. The second one is your feelings aren't your faults. This one, I'm, yeah, I love that because I think that's very common that people perceive their feelings as faults. Uh, So tell me more. (laughs) So it's really, it's how do you avoid getting stuck in victim land? This is, this is a Shannon thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to start it and I'm going to let you carry that flag all the way through Shannon. (laughs) But the question is really, how do you want people to experience you? Mm, mm. Yeah, I think you had talked about in in the book or something, they talk about like how uh, don't vent endlessly. So mm-hmm. you're, maybe, maybe the tip should be like your feelings don't have to be false, but they could turn into one if you're not careful. Yes. So avoid them turning into false by being mindful about where you are in the drama triangle, which we haven't done an episode on yet. So this is a little bit of a precursor, but are you falling into victim territory? Woe is me. Everything sucks. I think we can all resonate with either having been that person at some point in our careers or can easily pick somebody who is in that place in their careers. Uh, And I think how do we snap out of that is a few things, but the one that I'm going to emphasize here is just like, we have to snap out of that perhaps by reminding ourselves or checking in with ourselves on how we want people to be experiencing us. So it's a question that I like to come back to a lot of like, Oh, well, do I want people to be experiencing me as helpless as unable to solve my own problems as a big complainer whiner? Heck no, I don't. Do I want people to perceive to, to experience me as, emotionally intelligent, as able to express this is coming up. And also here's some things that I think we could do about it to, to fix it. Do I want people to experience me as being solution oriented? Yeah. And I think that's it right there. I think you're hitting it. It's feel free to vent, right? Yeah, that's not a problem. No one is going to fault you. And I think what it's saying is your feelings aren't faults. 
your feelings can become detrimental if you only have negative feelings. And so it's talk about the problem, but then really talk about the solution and how that's going to get fixed. Yes. And I think that's what people want to see. And that's, that's how you, you take control of those feelings and you make them not false. It's this sucks. I'm pissed about it, but I need your help and I need to figure out how we can, how I can move past this and and not let this kind of drag me down and and leave me in victim land. Yes. If we go back to even our most recent episode on books with Rage Becomes Her, like how do we think about the three A's and turn it into assertiveness, like leverage that feeling, turning it into assertiveness to create change. Let them see the optimist in you in that sense that you believe that things can be better. Yes. Uh, so that's your feelings aren't false. So then let's do the last one, which is emotional culture cascades from you. How nice is that word cascades? I really feels do like, like a that waterfall. Word. Yeah, I could just like see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> so just imagine you guys emotional culture is cascading from you. Mm-hmm. And so the first question is, how do you want others to describe you? Right? Like, how do you want people to describe you and, and the impact that you have on the emotional culture? Yeah. And if it's not, if you're thinking about yourself and you're thinking about, okay, put yourself in your coworkers' feet. Like, how would they describe Rami? How would they describe Shannon? And if that's not what you want, change it, right? Like, yes. change what you want the description of you to be by living that new description of you. Yes. And yes. how you want people to experience you. The second piece is what kind of culture do you want? And are you modeling those things, right? So it goes back to the first thing. How do you want people to describe you based on the culture that you want? And if Mm -hmm. you're not modeling those, then you're not going to have people describe you in that way. And that's not the culture that you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. I think it really does boil down to that. So thinking about like what... Oh, man, I'm thinking about some clients now who are really in the doldrums, just really struggling and and sure that it's their environment that needs to change. And they could be right. Like, whatever, we reserve judgment for that. But but keeping in mind, okay, well, what's the culture that you're trying to get to? Oh, I want to get to a workplace culture that's open, that's receptive to my creative ideas. Da, 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 da. Okay, well, are you extending that outward to other mm-hmm. people? And if you're not, you're not keeping your side of the street clean. And it's got to start yes. there. And if if after that point, you make the attempt and you try to model the way and then things still aren't coming around, okay, then then maybe you get a pass, so to speak, on to the next thing. But until that point, be responsible. Take responsibility for creating the culture that you want. Yes. And then I think the only other thing I want to say in all of this is this piece of advice. If you have a coworker who's constantly complaining – what you can do is ask two different questions, but you have to ask them genuinely, right? It'll help diffuse the situation and help them fall out of that victim land and also realize that that the emotional culture can be better that cascades from them. So the two questions are, what would you have done differently? Mm-hmm. And what can we do about it going forward? Yeah, I like those a lot. So I think, look, if someone's coming to you and they're they're falling into victim land, one, I think if you have someone who's coming to you and they're falling into victim land a lot, it's going to probably help you not want to fall into victim land because you're seeing it and you're like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to portray that. I don't want that to be the, the way that others describe me. Mm-hmm. But you can also support your, your coworkers and your partners in asking them those two questions. So what would you have done differently? So get them to think about it, start solutioning. 
in terms of that situation and then also solutioning about what can we do about it going forward. I love it. Okay, so I know we just did technical, but I want to I have the urge to tie this in a bow for our listener one more time. So we talked about coins. So how to give feedback in a way. So when those uh, if we go back to embracing emotions at work, when those negative emotions come up and you want to give somebody feedback, giving you a resource on how to do that through coins, context, observation, impact, next stay. Uh, And then breaking down it in more detail, psychological safety first and how we can create that. Making sure that we're restoring safety above all else. Uh, Two, that your feelings aren't false as long as you stay out of victim land. (laughs) If you get into victim land, they can be. So and then three, that the emotional culture cascades from you. And I think the underpinning in all of those topics is thinking about what is the culture you want to create? How do you want other people to experience you? And where's the where's the alignment or the disconnect between those two things? Exactly. All right. With that, we'd love for you to connect with us on Instagram at Workplace Hugs and give us your thoughts on emotions and embracing them in the workplace. Let us know if you try the coin model or how you're creating safety in your workplace or in your marriage or wherever you need safety most. (laughs) With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami and this has been Workplace Hugs.